0: Well, I've got to get right into it today because I've got a lot of material to cover with you. We're in a series entitled Doomsday, How the World Will End. Now, the reason we're doing a series is twofold. One is to remind ourselves that this life does not constitute our real life. This is preparation for the life to come. And one day, not only will our lives end, but the whole world will end. Also, this is a topic that many people today are interested in talking about. And so as believers, it's good to equip ourselves so that we can have a spiritual, a biblical conversation about how the Bible says the world's going to end. Now, we've been using and decoding an Old Testament prophecy about the end of the world That was given to the Old Testament prophet Daniel by the angel Gabriel. Daniel's praying one day, and he's asking God to be merciful on the nation of Israel, who is now in exile, Uh, and they're under the Persian rule. Originally, it was the Babylonians who conquered them, but now they're under Persian rule, and he's praying that God will deliver them from this exile, from this captivity, while he's praying, God sends the angel Gabriel to him. And he says, not only am I gonna tell you about the end of these seven years, I'm gonna tell you about the end of the world. And so he begins to unveil God's plan for Israel leading to literally the end of the world. And in Daniel chapter 9, 24, he says this, he gives him a code. He says, 77s are gonna take place To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, we've noted every week that that of that list, only one of those has been fulfilled so far, and that is to atone for wickedness. That's what Jesus did when he came to our world and died on the cross for our sins. It was an atoning sacrifice for our sin. But everything else is still out there. They haven't been fulfilled yet. So he said, 77s until all this happens. Now, we saw that the 77s are 70 groups of seven years. That's what constitutes that 77. In other words, 490 years. Now, as we went on through that passage and studied more, we we discovered that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one come, would take up 770s and sixty-two seventies, or 438 years. And we saw how that's exactly what happened. From the time that Artaxerxes, this time during Daniel, made the proclamation that the Jews could go back to their homeland and begin rebuilding the city of Jerusalem until the time that Jesus' ministry took place was exactly 483 years. So 483 years of those 77, those 490 years were satisfied in the life and the ministry of Jesus. But that leaves seven remaining years. And again, what we discovered was that because Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah, God has temporarily cut them off as his chosen people and he has stopped that prophetic clock. The 483 years Jesus came, scripture says he was cut off, and when he was cut off, when he was rejected by Israel, God stopped the clock. Now one day, God is gonna restart that clock. When? After the time of the Gentiles has been fulfilled. We are now God's representatives on planet Earth. Those of us who have trusted Christ as our savior. The church now fulfills the role that Israel was supposed to fulfill in living such a dedicated life to God that they would attract the attention of all the other pagan nations to the true God, God Jehovah. And now we have that opportunity. But that time's gonna end. And God's gonna turn his eyes back to Israel. At some point in time, God is gonna restart that prophetic clock that was given to Daniel Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Now, those final years, no one's going to miss those final years because they're going to be characterized by suffering and destruction like the world has never known. No one's going to miss them when they start happening. We saw that two important signs, or three important signs, will signify the restarting of that prophetic clock. The first is the ruler who will come. And we know that person theologically is the Antichrist. A second sign is the outpouring of God's wrath. And this is where we've been camped out the last couple weeks. God is going to now bring judgment to sin and sinners alike on planet Earth. Isaiah talked about it. In Isaiah 13 verse 9, he says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and what? Fierce anger. He says, God says, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. Now, we are living under a day of God's grace. And we live under his blanket of protection and mercy and love. And and God will be that same God in eternity. But there's a time coming, and God has warned us about it ever since the fall of man, where he is going to judge sin and sinners, and he's going to pour out his wrath. When it starts happening, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 13, and Jesus later said the same thing, and Paul later said the same thing, these outpourings of wrath are going to resemble the labor experience of a woman. We saw that when a woman goes into labor after her nine months of pregnancy, all of a sudden, you know, she has a contraction. You go, oh, wow. And then, you know, a little later on, there's another one. And what happens? Over the course of her labor, the contractions get closer and closer together, and they tell me they get a little bit more intense. Is that true, ladies? Yeah, yeah just a little. Okay. Well, that's how it's, the world's going to be in these last seven years. God's going to pour out a little bit of wrath. The world's going to go, what was that? And then he's going to pour out a little bit more. What, what was that? But as these seven years progress, his outpouring of wrath is going to become significantly more intense every time, and the events will be much closer together until it culminates in the end of the world. Now, we've looked at, as recorded in the book of Revelation, these seven years are picked up. A description of these seven final years picked up thousands of years later in the final book of our New Testament, which we call the book of the Revelation. John, who is one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, is exiled to a penal colony, a work colony by the Romans called Patmos. And he's he, he sent there because he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching Jesus, and they want to shut him up, so they sent him to the island. But on the island, God sends another angel. I, I believe it's got to be Gabriel again. The Bible is not specific, but I believe it was Gabriel. To now pick up and tell John how those seven years are going to go when God starts the clock again. And the picture that John sees is he gets to see heaven, uh, pulls back the clouds of time and space, and John's looking at the throne room of heaven, and God stands up and he's got a scroll. And that scroll is sealed shut with seven seals. And at first, no one's found worthy to open that scroll. In fact, John says he wept and he wept and he wept because no one was found worthy. They wanted to know what's inside those scrolls. But finally, Jesus comes. And Jesus is worthy to open the scrolls. Why? Because he died for the sins of humanity. Willingly. And so the scene is: pops a seal to see what's inside it. It pops another one, it pops another one, it pops another one. And each one reveals God's plan for those final seven years. So we saw: I popped the first seal and we saw a white horse come out. And that was the emergence into the world of the Antichrist. The second seal pops, and that's a red horse. And God unleashes international war on a massive scale, unknown before, even in our world wars. The world is, is at war, and the war then, the third seal popped, and that's a black horse, and that represents the famine and all the plagues that result from the world war, and there's, there, there's great famine. It says that it'll take an entire day's wage to buy one quart of wheat, and, and that would only feed one person, so people with families, they have to buy barley, but it'll take three quarters of, of a quart will take, will take one day's wage, and so it's a massive famine. Then the final horse comes out, and that's death, and Hades is following him. And the combination of those first four horses bring about the destruction of a quarter of the world's population. By today's standard of 7 billion in the world today, that would represent 1.75 billion people die as a result of these four first seals. Then the fifth seal is the cry of the martyred saints. God will leave a witness on earth during these terrible times to to tell people, remind people of Jesus' death and their opportunity to receive forgiveness from God. But many of them will be martyred for the cause of Christ. Then we see the sixth seal opens, and God sends a massive or a series of massive earthquakes around the earth that literally shake the earth, the entire earth, causing all kinds of consequential harm and destruction. Then the seventh seal is broken, and the seventh seal then introduces seven more judgments in the Bible called the trumpet judgments. And we looked at those last week, the first four. The first trumpet was sounded, and a third of the world's vegetation was destroyed. Food is already scarce, and now a third of the vegetation of the plant life on earth is destroyed. The second trumpet sounds, a third of marine life is destroyed. A third of all the fish in the oceans and the seas float up to the top. They're all dead. And a third of all the, the, the ships on the sea are destroyed. Ships that are needed to get medical supplies and water and food to different places on the earth. Then the third trumpet sounds. And a third of all the fresh water on the planet now turns bitter. And, and people can't drink it. So it's poison now. The fourth trumpet sound. And a third of the sun, the moon, the stars were struck causing a third of daylight hours to cease, and the world is plunged into plummeting temperatures and darkness, further causing suffering and terror around the world. Now, seven seals, four trumpets, and then we're introduced to Revelation 8.13. And John's trying to take this all in. And he says, as I watched all this, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, whoa, whoa woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. In other words, after all this devastation, all this destruction, all this terror, all this stuff that we've talked about, this eagle, God puts this eagle in the air to say, you guys haven't seen nothing yet. The worst is still to come. Now that's where we left off and that's where we're gonna pick up. But as we do, I wanna remind you that these final seven years of Daniel 77s will be divided into two periods of time. Three and a half years and three and a half years. Bible scholars and theologians refer to the first three and a half years as a time of tribulation. And we've seen that tribulation. But the second three and a half years they describe as the great tribulation. In other words, tribulation has been bad, but now it's gonna get so bad you can't imagine it. So I believe we're at that midpoint or close to it as the fifth trumpet sounds. So Revelation chapter nine, verse one. The fifth angel sound his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky onto the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. Now, we have seen celestial objects plummeting and hitting the earth through the other seals and trumpets, but this is different now, and there's a major shift happening right now that's easy to miss. He says, I saw a star that had fallen from the sky onto the earth. Now, this is not a meteor. This is not an asteroid. This is a demonic angel. In the Bible, angels are also referred to as the stars of God. In the Old Testament, the morning stars sang with God, the angels of God. This is in reference to Satan being cast out of of heaven. And Satan held a coup against God as recorded in Scripture. And when he challenged God's authority, a third of the angels of heaven joined his coup. And the result was instantaneous. God cast them all out of heaven, some to be bound until the final judgment, some to be temporarily bound, and others who were free to torment and and do their, their, their terrible deed on planet Earth. Now, understand There's a cosmic battle going on in another dimension of time and space between Satan and God. The earth is the battleground and humanity is caught in the crosshairs of these forces. For example, God created this amazing heaven and earth that we love and experience and he put us in it sinless and we had complete dominion over it. He said only one thing you can't do, you can't eat from the fruit that's in of the tree in the middle of the garden. So God gives us all this and Satan comes in opposing that. And Satan tempts Adam and Eve to eat the fruit from that one tree. plunges all humanity into sin. But then God makes provision for that. And God said, I'm going to send through the seed of woman a Savior, prophesying about the coming of Messiah, of Jesus coming to atone for sin. What does Satan do? He turns around and he creates a half-breed among the human race between demons who cohabitate with human women, trying to pollute the race so that they're unredeemable. What does God do? He sends the great flood to destroy that, that culture, and he saves a portion of humanity. See, and it goes on and on. I could All morning, I, I could stand here and, and show you, boom, move, counter-move, move, counter-move. Now it's all coming to an end. Not only is God pouring out his wrath on humanity, sinful humanity, God is bringing an end to this cosmic battle through all of this. And that's what we see. So the keys to the abyss were given to this, this demonic presence. And he opens up literally hell, where many of these angels, some permanently bound until judgment, some temporarily bound, have been bound. And as he opens it up, the smoke of hell literally pours out, like taking a top off of a pot and seeing the steam come out from all around. Then he says, out of the smoke, locusts came down upon the earth, and they were given power like scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so John says, I'm seeing, and remember, John's trying to describe something like no one's ever seen before. And he says, okay, so out of this smoke, come all oh, this locusts, just come pouring out of this smoke in this of the abyss. And he so said, they were commanded not to eat of any of the grass. Apparently, there's been some time passed now. The vegetation is starting to take place place on the earth again. Now locusts, as you know, what locusts do is eat vegetation. They destroy vegetation. They're in huge swarms, and they'll literally leave ground bare. They eat it all the way down to the stocks, to the very bare ground. So these aren't really locusts like we understand locusts. There's something else going on here. Their purpose is to torment the people of earth who do not have the seal of God on them. Now, we know that God, we saw in Revelation chapter 7, God had sealed 144,000 Jews to be his witnesses. They have God's seal on them. But also during this time, it's going to be possible for people to trust Christ. And those who do, God will place a seal on them. So, so what are these locusts all about? Well, look what Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 4. In his second New Testament book, he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. In other words, now he's gonna go on to say, If, if, if God judged the angels, humanity, don't you think for a minute he's not someday gonna judge you. That's where this is all going. But, but look what he says he says, When the angels sinned, he put some of them into hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Now they're released. John said, The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. All right, so breaking this all down real quick. He's trying to describe this. And notice he says they were like, they resembled. I, he's never seen anything like this before because no one has ever seen anything like this before. And so he's trying to describe. He says, there were so many that were like locusts, but but, but yet they, they had like a crown on their head, a helmet on their head of some kind. And their faces resembled human faces, but they really weren't human faces. They kind of had hair like a woman. And he's trying to describe them. From the description, we get that they're, they're horrible, demonic creatures. And we note that they're indestructible. They have head protection, they have breastplate protection. Although they are going to swarm the earth, they are invincible. They cannot be killed by human beings. They had tails. And stings like scorpions, and in their tails, they had power to torment people for five months. God now is going to put a succession to to the death on earth, and people aren't going to die now. But they're going to be tormented for a period of five months by these demonic creatures who come out of the abyss. Said they had a king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon. Many theologians believe he's speaking of Satan himself. Others believe it's just another demonic angel that's leading th- th- this particular act of wrath. But both of those names, Abdomon in Hebrew and Apollyon in Greek, mean destructor. So the destructor has come. Again, they were not given power to kill humanity, but only to torture them for five months It says, and the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it stings a man. I mean, we know how painful a beast sting is, right? Scorpion stings are so much more painful for that. And so God, let Satan unleash this force on humanity. Satan hates humanity. He hates you. Do you understand it? He hates you. All he wants is to destroy you. And so he unleashes this terror. It says, during those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. So horrible is this time. But God has put a temporary suspension on death. But Satan now torments with these hideous demonic creatures for five long months. Revelation 9.12 the first woe is past, an angel announces. After five months, God does whatever he does with those hideous creatures and they're no longer around. And it says, two other woes are yet to come. Basically he said, okay, remember the, the eagle said, whoa, 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 well, one's done. Some of you, all, you've survived that, but it's been a horrible experience. He said, but there's still two more woes. Revelation nine thirteen, the sixth trumpet. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great rivers Euphrates. Now, the scene flashes back to heaven again. And the throne room, and in the presence of the throne room, John hears a voice crying out to release now this sixth angel who has the sixth trumpet. And he says, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, understand again, holy angels, there's no indication in scripture anywhere that holy angels of God are ever bound because they do the will of God and they even serve and protect God. They're not bound. They're free to, to do the will of God and the work of God throughout the universe. Only fallen angels are bound. So now we're introduced to four more fallen angels who are are released now, they've been kept in captivity. Look what it says. And the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month. Mind you, God is in such control that he knows the precise day that he's gonna act on all this stuff. He knows the day, the month, the hour. He's been holding these four angels back in bondage for this very moment in human history. And it says, and they're released to kill a third of mankind. Now remember, after the first four seals, one quarter of the world's population has already died. Now we're going to kill another third, not including all the people who have died in between. Now we're talking about a number that represents over half of the world's population will die by this time. Seven billion. That means three point five billion, to be exact, not including all the others who have died. So it's even a number greater than that. Describes them. The number of the demonic troops was two hundred million. This, these four angels that they create a, an army of demonic angels that represent two hundred million. I believe it's divided into fourth and they each go to a different corner of the earth to wreak their destruction. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. Fiery red. These are all the colors of hell. Fiery red, the fires. dark blue, the brimstone, yellow, the sulfur. He says, the heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and sulfur. And a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. They went around. Some breathed fire and and destroyed people by burning them to death. Others are asphyxiated by the brimstone and and the sulfur that comes out of them. Look at this, though. Revelation 9.20. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues. Remember, it's another third of the human population. Still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magical arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Even though all this is going on, those surviving on the earth who still have an opportunity to repent, who still have an opportunity to receive forgiveness through Jesus Christ, they refuse to do it. You know, I've noticed in life in general, That when tragedy strikes an individual in relation to God, they respond in one of two ways almost every time. They either get angry with God and and, and reject God, or they are drawn closer to God. These people reject them. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. Now there's another significant transition. Understand now, things are popping now, they're happening really quickly and intensely. It says, and the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, the nations were angry angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding the prophets and your saints and those who reverence your name and for the what? Destroying of the what? Of the earth. Now we're coming to the end of the world now, all right? But it's not yet, but we're getting there now said, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and great hailstorms. Again, God is literally shaking the earth again, shaking the heavens again. Then I heard a voice from the temple saying to the angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Okay, seven seals, open the seven seals, it introduced seven trumpets. Sound the last trumpet, now we're being introduced to seven bowls of God's wrath. Now, because of time, I'm going to rip through these. Now, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this, but, but it would be overpowering. So let me just rip through these bowl judgments. Now, things are really popping. They're happening one after another. So the first bowl of wrath, Revelation 16.2. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people. All these people, now these ugly and excruciatingly painful sores break out all over their bodies. Ladies, no amount of cosmetic is gonna cover this up, okay? Second bowl, angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man and every living thing in the sea died. Remember now, a third of the marine life had died before. Now all of it's dead. There's no more marine life on the planet. The third bowl, third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the spring waters, and they became blood. So now the fresh water supply of the earth, that which is providing potable water to drink and to cook with, that's all polluted now. And the only thing that's left is whatever people had in reserve. The fourth bowl of wrath, the fourth angel pulled out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch the people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent glory for him. Now he destroys the ozone layer and the full intensity of the radiation of the sun is poured out on, on, on humanity and it burns their skin and they're burned with intense heat and intense suffering. And look what it says. And they curse the name of God. They know where all this is coming from. They're not just thinking, oh, just something happened. Oh, this is global warming or what they know that God is pouring out his wrath on the earth at this point. And even though they realize that, they still refuse to repent and glorify him. The fifth bull pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plumbed into darkness. Look what it says. Men nod their tongues in agony. And curse the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But they refused to repent of what they had done. Unimaginable. Horrible stuff. Horrible times. And, and you know what? I've, I've neglected to describe to you another terrible force that is going to be unleashed, unleashed on, the, on the earth throughout these final seven years that's going to bring even more suffering, more terror, more destruction, more heartache, more fear. Here's another fourth I haven't even shared with you. You know what that is? See you next week. Are you getting it? Is it starting to sit home? There are... Terrible, terrible, terrible times coming. When God starts that clock up again, you do not want to be here. We don't know what generation that will happen in, but it could be ours. I don't want you going to bed worrying about that one. Because the great news is God has made provision before those days start for us. We don't have to worry about those days. I got a little more to say about that in the next couple of weeks. But let me just say it here today because although I can absolutely, as I said last week, I can actually, absolutely, absolutely promise you the world will not end this, this week. But my world might end. Someone else might have to get over and finish this series. Because God may take my life. Your world may end. And so we gotta be ready not And say, well, when those days come, it's gonna be obvious, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with God then. Probably you won't, by the way, because all these people don't. But God has made provision. And the provision is Jesus Christ. John 3:16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not what church? Will not what, church? but have, there you go, see, God made provision. John 1, 12 says, yet to as many as received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what church? Children Children of God. And how do we do it? Paul tells us in Romans 9. if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, that's where it all starts. It's not me. It's not how good of a person I am. It's no denomination on the planet Earth. It's no religious system. It's no matter of, of doing good deeds and being nice to people. All those things are important, but that will not get you security. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what God says. Just do that. And you'll be safe. Saved from what? All the stuff we're talking about. And much, much more. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, as we had someone in the first service, the good news is God brought you here somehow, some way, through some medium, to give you that opportunity. God loves you. God never intended and still does not intend for any human being to experience this. But God also knows that there are some human beings that will just harden their hearts to him. And they'll never humble themselves to say, Jesus is Lord. And they'll think themselves too intellectual to believe that that Jesus came back from the dead. See, it's a matter of pride. But that doesn't have to be you. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And right now, the presence of God in some way, usually through just a soft presence, a soft voice, is bearing witness with you that you need this, that you need this salvation. You need this forgiveness. And right now, he's striving with you to convince you to receive it. Well, no one's looking around. I promise I won't embarrass anybody here. And God's speaking to you about this right now. Just so I know whether the need is here or not, would you raise your hand? Just slip it up until I see it. Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, I see your hand. You can put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, God's at work here, as I know he would be. God loves you. He doesn't want you to leave this campus having to worry about any of this stuff. And right now, he invites you to do what we just described. And you can pray right where you're sitting right now. Where does it start? Confess that Jesus is Lord. Pray, God, I get it. Jesus is the only way back to you. There is no other religion. There's no other plan. There's no other strategy. It's Jesus. And then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess that to the Lord. Say, God, I believe what you have said about Jesus, that he was your son, that he came to this earth, that he lived among us, he died, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. I believe that you gave him that power. And God, furthermore, because he was willing to do that of his own, you didn't force him to do it, he willingly went there, you have given him the authority to adopt me into your family. You have given him the authority to forgive me of my sins. And so right now, Jesus I'm praying that you will do that in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Pay my sin debt with your atoning sacrifice on the cross. Adopt me into your family. I believe and I receive you, Jesus, this day as my personal Savior. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. Now, if you put that kind of faith in God, here's what Scripture says to everyone who does what what we just talked about. First John five thirteen says, "These things I write to you who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God." Look up at me again. Isn't God good? We don't have to worry about this stuff. That's one reason, and there's another reason. But I'm not going to share that one with you yet. But I hope you'll be back. I, I understand this is intense. And I understand it takes time, but how do you compress seven years of extreme complexity and drama into thirty minutes? You can't do it. So thank you for being patient. Now here's, here's the here's the thing: we're going to talk a couple more weeks, but the end, the last message, as horrible as these messages are right now, and as terrifying as they are in some accounts. The end is beautiful. The end is wonderful. We're going to shout and sing and and praise the Lord for the way the story ends. Amen? I hope you'll come back for it. Let me encourage you to to be faithful in your tithes and offerings today. I'll say, remember I told you last week we started out the year, last week was a disaster. I don't know what happened. And curiously enough, the same Sunday the year before was a disaster. So I don't know whether it's the football playoffs or what, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever it is, stop it. <laughs> we need your support. Father, thank you. We love you. God, receive now our praise as we lift up your name and just praise you and praise you and praise you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.